Good evening, my friends, and welcome to Hitchens on Horror. I am your host, Josh Hitchens, and this is Twelve Nights of Terror, where we explore the very best in holiday fear. This is night number 11, a double feature of Krampus and a Christmas horror story. Oh my goodness, it is Christmas Eve, my friends. I am recording this on December 24th, 2021. I hope everyone is having a safe and happy holiday, as safe and as happy as it is possible to be during this current moment in time. So, uh, tonight we are going to have a double feature, both movies from 2015, aka the year that Krampus made mainstream Hollywood. Uh, This was not originally going to be a double feature, actually. Uh, At first, when I first planned out this series of 12 Nights of Terror, I was just going to focus on Krampus. But when I posted the list of the films that I was planning on doing for this series on Facebook... uh, Matt Lake, who I am uh, friends with on the Facebook, was shocked that I wasn't including a Christmas horror story, and after giving it some thought, I was like, you know what, I'm going to include it, um, because it's a really fun movie, and actually is a perfect double feature, Krampus and a Christmas horror story, and we'll get into why a little bit later. Now, before we talk about Krampus the film, we've got to talk about who and what Krampus is. Uh, Krampus is a being that comes from uh, Alpine folklore, to be more specific, uh, Austro-German folklore. And Krampus is typically depicted as a uh, horned being uh, who is the shadow of St. Nicholas, as some have very eloquently put it. You know, St. Nicholas, a.k.a. Santa Claus, is the one who goes about giving presents to good children, and in um, Austro-German folklore and folklore in surrounding um, country uh, countries as well, Krampus is the figure who punishes those who have been bad. Um, we When I... Uh, uh, talk, talked about uh, 3615 uh, Code Père Noël, I talked about France's version of this character, Père Fouettard, it's basically, which is basically the same as Krampus, except Krampus is much more monstrous looking, uh, much scarier. And Krampus is also usually depicted um, covered and wielding chains, which he can use to whip people with. And Krampus is, goes back long, long, long in history, pre-Christian. Um, but of course, when the Christians decided that they are the most important religion ever, sorry if that offends anyone, it's Christmas, whatever. Um, they, uh, interpreted Krampus and Krampus's chains as being the chains of hell. And I only mention that because the film version of Krampus does tie uh, the being of Krampus to hell in very interesting and surprising ways, which I'll get into a little bit later. Um, so Krampus uh, 
didn't really enter American uh, folklore and knowledge until the late 20th century, uh, even though Krampus is extremely popular, an extremely popular holiday tradition in the areas where that folklore has existed for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, one of my favorite um, bit of factoids is that in Austria and southern Germany, they have what they call Krampus runs, which is where uh, adult men dress up as a army of Krampuses, and they run through the city streets with the specific goal of trying to scare the shit out of children. I think that's so wholesome. I love it. That's great. I'd love to go to one of those. Um, incidentally, um, in Asbury Park, New Jersey, not far from where I live in Philadelphia, they have a Krampus Festival in Asbury Park every year, which is uh, run by the wonderful uh, folks who run um, Paranormal Books and Curiosities, which is a great story. You should check it out. Uh, anyway, so... Krampus, the 2015 film. Uh, this was a movie that I awaited with huge anticipation when it was first coming out, much like you might be waiting for Santa Claus tonight, um, if you believe in Santa, and if you do, that's great, uh, because Krampus is the second movie directed and written uh, by Michael Dougherty. And Michael Dougherty's first film is none other than the legendarily great Halloween horror movie Trick or Treat. I would say one of probably the top three or four Halloween movie, Halloween-themed horror movies ever made. Um, Trick or Treat belongs in there. Uh, and that movie, was Trick or Treat, was made in 2007 and was uh, relegated to obscurity. It was released, never received a legit theatrical release, was finally released direct to DVD in 2009, and has since become a huge cult hit um, and recognized as the brilliant piece of work that it is. Michael Dougherty is a writer and director who really understands horror. Um, he really gets it. So I was super, super excited for Krampus to come out in 2015. Um, and I saw this movie in the theaters, and I loved it then. I still love it now. Um, I think this is a really, really great film, a terrific Christmas film. Uh, I, I do have to speak out for one moment against uh, a piece of trivia listed on Krampus's IMDb trivia page, which says that uh, Krampus is the second uh, home invasion Christmas movie ever made after Home Alone. And if you've been listening to all the episodes of 12 Nights of Terror, and if you haven't, that's fine. You can go back and revisit later. But you'll know if you've listened to previous episodes that that statement is bullshit. Krampus is the third Christmas home invasion movie. The very first one, the one that IMDb trivia forgets, is none other than 3615 Code Père Noël, a.k.a. Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. Deadly Games, which was made in 1989, which Home Alone pretty blatantly ripped off in a large sense in 1990. Uh, and then you have Krampus in 2015. So I, I think Krampus is kind of a really wonderful... Um, child of both of those films, both 3615, Code Père Noël, and Home Alone. Um, 
because uh, really specifically with its debt to home alone, Krampus is about a family that has clearly become hugely, hugely dysfunctional um, in ways that are very funny. And that's something to keep in mind that Krampus is a very, very funny movie. It's definitely horror comedy, comedy horror. Uh, and it's rated PG-13, and the horror community around the time this film was being released um, took a lot of issue with the fact that this film was rated PG-13 and not rated R, because the horror fan community, like all fan communities, can sometimes become very, very toxic. Um, I just, I just want to say I don't really understand the outcry in the horror film fam community against horror movies that are rated PG-13, because horror movies that are rated PG-13 means that a younger generation can go see them, you know, and that way you can introduce young adults to horror, um, and introduce young adults to horror with films that are really, really good. Um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which came out a couple years ago, the film version, which I talked about in 62 Horror Movies, is a great example of that. Krampus is also another great example of that, where this film may be rated PG-13, but it it, it really goes there. Like, there's some extreme violence and gore, and there's some legit scares in this film. And it, it is training wheels horror done right, uh, to quote Peter Travers of the Rolling Stone. He wrote that about the scary stories to tell in the dark movie, but I think it applies to Krampus as well. So, uh, getting back to the plot of this film, uh, Michael Dougherty. Uh, intentionally structured the first about 25 minutes of this movie to be like any other Christmas movie. For the first 25 minutes of Krampus, it almost seems like a more contemporary remake of Home Alone, where you have two sides of this enormous family coming together, and there's huge friction between all of them, and there's... Uh, one young boy who is the central character who just wants Christmas to be the way it was when he was younger. Um, he wants his family members to stop fighting, to stop hating one another, and he is just tired of Christmas being a painful experience. And I mean, wow. How relatable is that for, I think, most people? Um, which I think is a great genius for this film, because for the first 25 minutes, you get really invested in this family, um, because they're really hilarious. And this movie has a great cast of uh, just top-notch character actors, which really helps. Um, playing the main role as Max is MJ Anthony, uh, and he's terrific in this film. He really carries it, especially in the final third when uh, he's uh, kind of the last person standing. I'll just say that for a moment. Um, and as Max's parents, you have Adam Scott of Parks and Recreation fame as the dad. You have the brilliant Tony Collette as Sarah, the mom. And it's really fascinating to watch Tony Collette as a mother in Krampus when she is really, really funny. Um, like, she can, she's such a brilliant actor, just with, like, a movement of her eyelid, she can make you cackle. Uh, it's, 
God, she's so great. Um, but it's interesting to contrast her work in this with her work uh, just two years later um, in Hereditary, by directed by Ari Aster, which she should have won a fucking Oscar for, and I'll never, never stop being bitter about that, that she wasn't even nominated. Anyway, uh, also in this terrific ensemble cast, you have David Kochner, um, who folks might know from... Uh, the, from The Office, he played the character Todd. He's also, um, the internet tells me, in the Anchorman films, although I haven't seen any of those. But he's a terrific character actor. He's also uh, plays a supporting role in a movie I'm sure no one listening to this has ever seen, and I think few people have ever seen, uh, called A Haunted House, starring Marlon Wayans, which is a parody of, like, the Paranormal acti Activity movies, which is absolutely hilarious, and I love it. Um, he's in that, too. Um, and then you also have, oh, God, really the invaluable present... Uh, presence of Conchata Farrell as Aunt Dorothy, who's the relative that no that no one wants to have around because she's blunt, she's not taking your shit, and as soon as she comes into the house, she's like, where's the eggnog? I need to get Mary. Um, and just as so many great one-liners throughout the movie, uh, God, she's a treasure. Um, she's best, uh, the Actor Conchata Farrell is best known for playing the role of Bird of the Housekeeper uh, on Two and a Half Men, which is a show I never really watched, but um, God, I love her in this movie. It makes me want to watch that show at least a couple episodes. Um, and I'd be remiss if I did not mention in this film's great ensemble cast, uh, the great Krista Stadler as Omi, who is the grandmother character, who is actually a very last-minute replacement, but she is absolutely terrific. And Omi, the grandmother, is the character of uh, the character who has encountered Krampus before, and she doesn't tell her story until about, oh, maybe like 45 minutes, nearly halfway through this film. And the uh, the way she narrates it is so beautiful. And her story is actually told through animation, which is very haunting and effective. Um, just a great, great directorial choice to have the history of Krampus illustrated that way. And also a great directorial choice by writer-director Michael Dougherty, is the very first scene during the opening credits of Krampus. Because when Krampus starts, you hear this angelic Christmas music. I mean, even before that, you see Universal Studios is the studio that put this out. So it, it, it at least for a horror aficionado like me, makes you think back to those glory years of the 1930s and 1940s when Universal Studios really brought horror movies to the popular eye in the United States. Um, but the first uh, scene of Krampus during the credits, again, there's this great Christmas music, and the font that is used for the opening credits is delightfully old-fashioned, like the kind of font that might be used on a Victorian Christmas card. And you think, oh, this is just so idyllic. It's almost Steven Spielberg Christmas kind of thing. And then as the opening credits go on very quickly, you see that the scene that you're actually watching in this store with all these beautiful decorations, all these employees dressed in holiday clothes, um, 
It's almost like a Black Friday situation where the store opens and a huge mob of people go into the store desperate to get um, the biggest deals. And you, like, you legit see them trample on the employees and knock them down, knock employees off of ladders and fight and, you know, adult people fighting amongst one another for toys and different products. And... That opening credit sequence of Krampus, I think, is just brilliant directing because it lets you know from the very, very first couple minutes of this film exactly what kind of movie that you're going to be watching. That this is not a movie that's going to be dead serious. It's going to be funny, but it also has a message. Uh... And I think that's the truly, truly brilliant thing, because what that opening credit uh, credit sequence establishes in Krampus is how the commercial uh, the commercialization of Christmas has turned us all into monsters, and that's a theme that carries throughout the entire film. And it's also, I think, a brilliant directorial choice that very early on in the movie. Um, you see the family watching um, the very famous 1950s version of A Christmas Carol starring Alistair Sim as Ebenezer Scrooge. And that's a great hint as well because that tells you that this film, Krampus, is basically following the structure of A Christmas Carol because it is about a family who has lost the meaning of Christmas. And the meaning of Christmas is not the presence, it's not the commercialization, uh, it's not forced intimacy, it's finding the value in one another despite your differences. And even though this film was made in 2015, I think it's almost even more relevant now because you, the two branches of the family are very, very firmly, like... Democrat, Republican, um, and have that friction between them. Uh, and the film has a lot of fun with that friction. But, yeah, it's gotten a lot... That divide has widened since then. Which is why Krampus is a great movie to watch. Um, and because that divide has become so wide, the main character in Krampus, um, the young boy Max, who wrote, a, who still believes in Santa Claus at the beginning and wrote a letter to Santa, um, which is eventually read out loud at the Christmas dinner table, which is a little bit um, unlikely that, like, because there are adult, many adults at that table. No one stops the, like, snotty cousins from reading um, this boy's Christmas letter. Uh, but whatever, it's, it, it's emotionally effective. Uh, and Max really just wants Christmas to be back the way it was, and he names each member of his fam each member of his family wishing that things were better, wishing that his mom and dad could love one another again, wishing that he could be close with his sister again, different things like that. Um and the great, great actor, uh Conchata Farrell as Aunt Dorothy after all the kerfuffle, after the letters read, says, what? The kid should be given a medal for telling the truth. Um, but then, because Max is so disillusioned by Christmas, he rips up his note to Santa Claus and casts it out into the night. And that is what summons Krampus. 
uh, right after that happens, and again, we're about 20, 25 minutes into this film, then a huge, huge supernatural blizzard envelops the entire town, knocking out power, and that's when Krampus really starts to become a horror movie. Um, it is constantly surprising, and I don't want to say too much more about what happens, because I think Krampus is a really interesting ride on its own, but I do want to speak a little bit about how this film depicts the character of Krampus, because I think it is hugely, hugely effective, and since this film and the other movie that I'm going to be talking about very soon, there have been many other very low-budget um Krampus movie, Krampus horror Christmas movies invading the market. I haven't actually watched them. They might be really fun. Um, but I think Krampus 2015, written and directed by Michael Dougherty, gets the character correct in that for really almost until the end of the film, you don't see the figure of Krampus except either at a great distance or um, visually obstructed. The first time you encounter Krampus is when um, the teenage daughter of this film, Beth, who's played by Stefania Levy-Owen, uh, is going to try and visit her boyfriend who lives four blocks away as this whiteout blizzard is going on and she sees the character of Krampus hopping from roof to roof throughout the throughout the neighborhood and uh, that character eventually pursues her. And you really just perceive this strange, inhuman figure doing things that a human being could not do, like leaping from run uh leaping from one house roof to the other um and you see that this uh krampus figure is wearing robes uh but it's not until daughter beth hides under a car that you see that Kramp this krampus has hooves for feet giant giant hooves um far bigger than any animal you might see and as the figure of Krampus becomes more and more visible as the movie goes on, I think the terrific thing is that you never get to see the true face of Krampus. The Krampus figure is wearing a mask to resemble sort of a creepy Santa Claus almost. And it's never taken off. Um, you just see behind the mask, like, you see Krampus's eyes and glimpses of his mouth, but you never see Krampus's face. You do see that he has these taloned claws, which is huge, hugely creepy. Um, but I think that's a great, great thing that was done, because you never quite know what this being looks like. And as I said, Krampus is depicted as the shadow of Saint Nicholas, the shadow of Santa Claus. And Krampus, as envisioned in this film, is a legitimately terrifying and, in the true sense of the word, an awesome mythical figure. Um, I also do have to give a shout out to um, the assistants that Krampus has, which are various different killer toys, sort of if, you know, Rudolph's Island of Misfit Toys was homicidal, 
in particular, the Killer Gingerbread Men, which are absolutely hilarious and great. Um, one of those, a uh, couple of those Gingerbread Men, by the way, uh, are voiced by the great Seth Green. Uh, Seth Green, of course, um, was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Party Monster and Austin Powers. Great actor um, and great voice actor, um, primarily doing his voice acting on uh, the show Robot Chicken. Uh, but yeah, Seth Green as Killer Gingerbread Man. That's super fun. And Krampus is super fun. And it is all, like, as I said... It is a PG-13 horror movie, but it has teeth to it uh, because Krampus, like Christian folklore, um, engendered onto Krampus, uh, Krampus is connected with hell, and hell plays a big part in the latter third of this movie, and I would argue in, the, in almost the final shot as well. This is a movie that is definitely for young adults, I would absolutely show it to children. Um, they won't get the adult jokes. It's fine, but they'll get enough. And I think it tells a great message, you know, just like A Christmas Carol does, which uh, the writer-director Michael Dougherty um, foreshadowed in the beginning of this movie, in that Krampus is a movie about a family who learns how to be a family again. Um, using Christmas time as the time as a prime time when that can happen, uh, and it's a really beautiful message, and you should watch this movie. It's truly great. Um, unfortunately, Krampus is not currently streaming on uh, a site that is readily available. I myself rented it uh, from Amazon Prime. If you've never seen Krampus, I highly, highly recommend you watch it. It is a fantastic second film from writer-director Michael Dougherty after Trick or Treat. Is it as good as Trick or Treat? No, not quite. I would give this maybe three out of four stars, but it is absolutely wonderful. Uh, Michael Dougherty has directed a third movie. He directed the most recent um, Godzilla King of the Monsters. I haven't watched it. Um, heard it got mixed reviews, but made like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So good for Michael Dougherty. I look forward to whatever he does next. So take a break, watch Krampus, and then we're going to come back, my friends, for our second feature of the night, this night of Krampus. Okay, two things that I meant to mention about Krampus and then forgot to, and then we'll move on to the second movie. So, um, continuing with our theme that we have seen with uh, the Twelve Nights of Terror about snow, and a lot of these films not using actual snow. Most of the snow that you see in Krampus is actually made from the same material that diapers are made of, which I think is kind of fascinating. Um, and the second thing is that in Krampus, all the scenes where characters are outside and you see them talking and you see their breath 
like you do when it's cold outside. Uh, it wasn't actually that cold outside when the actors filmed those scenes, so that fogged breath is digitally added. Uh, but they didn't just have people randomly add some, you know, generic fogged breath into Krampus. Oh no, that's not what they did. What <laughs> writer-director Michael Dougherty did is he put other actors not in this film, no actors that were in this film, but just other random people he hired in a room that was freezing cold and had them speak the exact lines that the actors say in the movie and capture and filmed the breath, the fogged breath that came out because the room was so cold. And that is what was digitally added into this film, which I think is hilarious. Um, you know, it, it reminds me so much of um, William Friedkin directing The Exorcist, which also came out around Christmas time. Uh, in, you know, Reagan's bedroom, he actually had it refrigerated. It was so cold, so much snow that um, condensation caused a thin layer of snow to fall in that room on the set at one point. And to this day, Linda Blair says that she can't bear being cold because she was just on that bed in that refrigerated, freezing cold room in a nightgown. Um, so I guess it's nice that Michael Dougherty didn't ask his actors to do that. Um, but still, I hope that the poor humans who had to, you know, stand in a freezing cold room and say lines of dialogue so that their breath could be digitally manipulated into other actors' mouths on screen, I hope they got paid well. Um, anyway, so, 2015, the year of the Krampus, uh, and our second feature of the Night is a Christmas Horror Story, which is directed by three people. Uh, it's directed by Grant Harvey, Stephen Hoban, and Brett Sullivan, and it is written by five people. Uh, James Filleratrault, James Key, Sarah Larson, Doug Taylor, and Pascal Trottier. Uh, a Christmas Horror Story, as I said at the beginning, is not a movie I was originally going to include, but Matt Lake, this is for you. Um, and I'm glad, because I think this is a perfect companion to Krampus, um, and a film that doesn't really get enough love. Uh, so, if you have listened to the 62 horror movies section of the Hitchens on Horror podcast, you will know that I love me a horror anthology movie. Uh, anthology is probably my favorite subgenre of horror out of them all. I, and for those who don't know, horror anthology, aka a portmanteau film, is a movie where there is a framing device, like a framing story, and then within that, there are other stories being told. Um, and then at the very end, usually, you see there is a twist ending that connects all those stories together. Um, I love them. And A Christmas Horror Story is one of those movies. Um, I will say right off the bat that... I don't know if this film is entirely successful uh, in what it is setting out to do in terms of its structure, because uh, 
this a Christmas horror story is what I would call, and I don't know if this is a term anyone else uses, but I would call a threaded anthology film, where it's not that you get introduction, story one, story two, story three, etc. Um, a Christmas horror story is actually very like Michael Dougherty's Trick or Treat in that the stories are kind of woven together uh, in a lot of ways and interconnect. Uh, and I don't, and just getting the negative right off the bat, I don't think the way a Christmas horror story is structured is to its advantage. Because um, if you look at the cover art for a Christmas horror story, it depicts Santa Claus and Krampus fighting a Mortal Kombat battle, basically. Um, so that's the movie that you want to see. And throughout the film, that particular story, um, there are four stories in total that are threaded throughout this film that in that interconnect and splice through. Um, but you kind of want to see that one. Uh, I mean, that story is about a Santa Claus who discovers that his elves are becoming zombies. Um and his Mrs. Claus in this in this film is like super super young, uh, and I have to say the Santa Claus played by George Buza is the MVP of this film. He's absolutely terrific. Um, but you see elves being turned into zombies, and you get to see George Buza as Santa Claus utter the immortal line, "My elves turning into the Walking Dead." No, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and it's so much fun and so intriguing and such a weird and joyous mixture of genres uh, that, like, every time that that story is off screen, you're a little bit disappointed. Um, and I don't think it's the fault of the rest of the movie or the fault of the other stories, because I think the other stories are actually all great. But it is... It's the fact that there are kind of two movies happening here in A Christmas Horror Story. There is the Santa Claus fighting the zombie elves um, plot. Uh, alongside, <laughs> you have William Shatner. God bless William Shatner as uh, the radio DJ of this small town in which all these stories take place on Christmas uh, Eve. Uh uh, and William Shatner becomes drunker and drunker on eggnog throughout the film um, and warns about different things that are going on. It He's hysterical. I mean, he's William fucking Shatner. Uh, so you have William, drunk William Shatner and Santa Claus fighting Krampus and zombie elves. That's a great movie all on its own. Part of me wishes... That would have been a movie all on its own. But then there are three other story threads happening in this movie. And as I said, these three other story threads are really good. But I think the fact that they are interwoven together and not isolated separately diminishes how really effective and great they are. Uh, so I want to just go over the other stories um, very briefly. So, probably the creepiest story in this film, 
depicts a group of teenagers who are breaking into a um, abandoned section of their school where a horrific, religiously motivated um, double murder happened a year before, and it deals with sort of a Virgin Mary-esque ghost. Um, and that's all I'll say because I don't want to spoil it. But this is probably the most frightening section legitimately um, because it relies on that old trope of like, we're breaking into this cursed place and invoking all the horrors that have happened here and then the horrors come back to you. There's some great jump scares in this particular story. This, it got me. It got me. I, I, I did jump. I'm not going to lie. I did jump. Um, so that that's really great um, and is a really interesting uh, riff on Christmas, having the Virgin Mary, the Virgin Birth, being uh, sort of the theme of this uh, horrific bloody ghost story. It's great. Um, the, sec the second story is uh, centered around the policeman who investigated the murders uh, that I just talked about that happened in the first story a year ago. And the policeman with his wife and their young boy uh, decides to break into a restricted version of the forest and chop down a tree and take it home. And you don't do that. Because that angers the fairies, and the fairies might just leave you with a changeling child with murderous intent. Um, and I don't really want to say more than that, because I love how this particular story uh, turns out. Uh, and I, again, love that this is a different, not usual, not expected version of a Christmas story that you're dealing with fairies and the dark mythology of the fairy and the idea of a changeling. It's really, really good. Really, really good. And then the third story uh, is a Krampus story, and it's striking how similar it is to uh, Michael Dougherty's Krampus, which was released the same year as A Christmas Horror Story in 2015, in that in both stories it is a grandmother figure, um, a German grandmother figure, who has the history and tells the story of Krampus, and then that Krampus goes and stalks members of a family. Uh, and then all those stories come come together at the end. Um, but again, I, I do think, and this is just my personal opinion, I'm not the only reviewer that has expressed this opinion. I'm not alone. Others have said it before me. But I, I wonder if A Christmas Horror Story as a film would be even more effective if each of its stories were presented... Um, fully in themselves and not interspersed one through the other because it's it, it's a longish movie um it uh but it were feel it feels it just the way it's edited uh but i think if the stories were integrated better um might be more successful and that all said you need to watch this movie 
This is a great Christmas movie. Um, despite all the criticism that I have offered, this is a Christmas horror movie that is legitimately scary. Uh, again, as I said, it made me jump more than once. Um, it is a movie that has a message behind it, uh, and it's a film that offers comedy and horror in equal measure. Uh, and... At the end of the day, you've got William Shatner playing a radio DJ, getting drunker and drunker throughout the film, and you've got Santa Claus fighting off zombie elves and Krampus at the end. What more could you want, really? I mean, if that's not enough to sell you on watching this movie at least once, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so... Where can you watch a Christmas horror story? You can watch it on Shudder, the horror streaming service, my favorite streaming service of all. And you can also currently rent it on Amazon Prime for only 99 cents. Um, I highly recommend you check out this film. Both of these movies, Krampus and A Christmas Horror Story, it is a perfect double feature for Christmas Eve. And um, just on a personal note, on this Christmas Eve, my partner is um, in away in Florida visiting his family. So I'm kind of um, by myself a little bit. And it's been a joy to spend this Christmas Eve watching scary Christmas horror movies, and then talking about them with all you folks. And I am so excited for tomorrow, Christmas Day, and the conclusion of our 12 Nights of Terror. My friends, thank you for listening to Hitchens on Horror, I am your host, Josh Hitchens, and you've been listening to our series of 12 Nights of Terror, where we explore the very best in holiday fear. Tomorrow night is Christmas Day, my friends, and we are going to celebrate it on this podcast by watching my very favorite Christmas horror movie ever made, and, of course... It's gremlins. Duh. Until then, happy holidays. Enjoy your Christmas Eve. I hope Santa comes to all the good people in the world. And if you haven't been good, maybe Krampus will give you a whipping. See you tomorrow. <laughs>